Welcome back to Snap Judgment, the Gambit episode. Our next story takes us to the early 1950s, San Francisco. And little Gus Lee is just a lost kid trying to figure out how to survive. Snap Judgment. Every time little Gus Lee found himself in San Francisco's Chinatown, he'd begin a kind of frantic search. I would uh, see a vague, fuzzy picture of a Chinese woman. And for reasons I could not explain to myself, I would chase her. I would run after her. And I, I mean, I couldn't even articulate that I was looking for my mother. Uh, but that's what I was doing. Back then, I had no memory of her face. It was 1952. Gus hadn't seen his mother for months. I asked, where's mommy? Where, where'd mommy go? And my sisters assured me that our mother had gone back to China to take care of her father, who was ill, and that she would return as soon as she could. But then he came home from school one day, and a new woman showed up at the apartment. She's blonde, lots of curves, like a movie actresses. She looked like someone that came out of a magazine. She wasn't wearing the Chinese cheap haul that his mother always wore. She had on a pillbox hat and a veil. She smelled like flowers. And she was speaking, you know, the foreign language, uh, English. And I'm not sure what she said, but it was in a nice voice. When Gus's father introduced her, he said to call her Miss Edith. I remember she did something affectionate, like, you know, she touched my arm or she touched my face. Edith and his father married soon after. And as soon as she came home, it seemed like the temperature in the house changed completely. Family heirlooms, good luck symbols, they all began to disappear from the apartment. So did pictures of Gus's mother. Under Edith, there was to be no mention of Gus's mom, no more Chinese spoken at home, and absolutely no Chinese food. We are only going to have American food, and you're going to be an American. So everything was controlled. I had a one or a two minute limit. She would time me so I wouldn't speak Chinese in the bathroom. Another one of Edith's rules, Gus was to be out of her sight. Even when school let out, he still wasn't allowed in the apartment. I wasn't to ring the doorbell. I wasn't to knock on the door. I wasn't to uh, yell up at her if I was in trouble. Actually, I could not come back until she would open an upper window and whistle, like for a dog. So, every day, Gus would be locked out and on the street. And the street was where he was most vulnerable. Gus was around seven at the time, but he was built like a five-year-old, and he acted like a three-year-old. He could barely speak English. And... He happened to be the only Chinese kid in the neighborhood. They called him China Boy. I had 20 over 900 vision, which is legally blind. Uh, I would walk into telephone poles. I couldn't street fight and I couldn't play sports. After school, he would try and hide, stay invisible, stay out of trouble. And uh, then Big Jimmy would show up. Big Jimmy Timms was the neighborhood bully always on the lookout for more fresh meat. Big Jimmy, he was Godzilla. Big boned, big head. I was terrified of him. One day, 
Gus was playing in his usual spot. An alleyway on Golden Gate Avenue. And that was my hideout space. And I would uh, play with weeds and watch ants and hope no one bothered me. He didn't see Big Jimmy's fist until it came out of nowhere. Hey, China boy, crap for brains. You got any coin for me? Where are you hiding your coin? Don't have nothing. Don't, no have, no have nothing. Leave, leave, leave me alone. And uh, he hit me a couple more times until I went to the concrete. When I, I, I gathered my senses, I staggered towards the apartment. I rang the doorbell many times, and when there was no answer, I began pounding on the door itself. I was sobbing. The door finally opened, and there was Edith. And she said, What are you doing here? I told you not to come back. Go outside and play. Slam. I wasn't willing to go back on the street, so I stood on the stoop and huddled in the corner, hoping no one could see me for about three hours until she opened the door. Every kid on the street learned how to hit to the face by practicing on Gus. So eventually, a neighbor saw him get pounded and left in the street. His name was Hector Villanueva. White short sleeve shirt, big biceps. Big triceps, bulging shoulders, narrow waist. Uh, Looked like Captain America with a sweet Chicano accent. And he says, hey, Hoven, these, these kids, they, they, they pound you. They, they, they stuff you inside garbage cans. Uh, how come you don't fight back, man? Hey, you, you come with me. And he, he walked me to my apartment. He rings the doorbell, my dad shows up, and he says, Mr. Lee, you know me from the garage. Yes? Your boy, your Hoven here, your Chico, your Nino, he's, he's very quick, you know, but he can't fight. So you, you got to teach him boxeo, you, you got to teach him pugilato. You got to send him down to the YMCA boxing program to teach him how to save his life. You, you're going to look around one day and your boy, he gone. You go down to McAllister and there'll be this smudge. That used to be your son, man. And he says, you go save his life. YMCA. And then he rubbed the top of my head and he smiled and he walked away. But Edith wasn't having it. She didn't want to spend so much money on Gus. That's when his dad said, you should like it. He could be there five days a week, maybe even six. And there's, as I recall, this dead silence. And it was like, really? It was a Saturday when he first went. My father wrote out YMCA 220 Golden Gate on a placard on a string. And he put it around my neck and he put me on the bus. When Gus got off the bus, people on the street stopped to help the lost little boy with a placard tied around his neck. They took him to the front door of 220 Golden Gate. I was led to the locker room. The junior leader found, lost and found gym clothes, uh, which uh, nothing fit. So I wore my scuffed up 
street shoes, uh, gigantic clown-like gym trunks, and a tank top. I actually tried putting the straps over my head, you know, so they wouldn't fall off. In the gym, there were dozens of boys practicing boxing. There was an elevated boxing ring. And there was a gigantic man heading towards Gus. And he has hair, I mean, hairy arms and hairy shoulders and hair coming out of the top of his shirt. Giant, boulder-like head. This was Coach Tony. He walked him over to the punching bags. And he says, just hit it. And I hit it, and I start to cry. The coach looked at me and said, not only is this kid not a boxer, he can't be an athlete, and I'm not sure he's a kid. I finally, you know, stood up and said something like, no want to, no can, no can do. And he said something like, oh, crap, kid, you got some fight. Good. Starting that day, Gus basically considered his coaches as his enemies. He didn't really understand why they were so insistent on forcing him to do these painful exercises or why they were so nice while doing it. One of the ways that Coach Tony won my heart is he took me up to Lola's YMCA cafeteria and he fed me. Lola plied Gus with the full menu of American diner food. She made him bologna, then tuna fish sandwiches. She served up potato chips and milkshakes. A lot of milkshakes. And then I knew I, I would follow him anywhere. They had him lift weights. They fattened him up. And then they told him it was time. He was ready to go into the ring. So I climbed into the ring. I'm shaking. Uh, the bell rings. Coach says, go do it, kid. I get up. I walk towards center ring, and immediately after touching gloves, I sprinted for the ropes. I dove through the ropes. I forgot that it was an elevated ring, so I just smashed myself on the floor. I got up, ran for the stairs, and I ran directly into a wall. I was KO'd. Coach wouldn't let Gus off the hook until he could land that first jab. As Gus got stronger, for the first time, people started to call him something other than China Boy. And after school one day, the most popular girl in class, Phyllis Green, came up to him. She called him Gus. And I remember thinking, who's Gus? That's me. I hadn't heard a kid say Gus. She puts her arm in mine, and she says, now you walk me home. What they didn't see was that Big Jimmy was walking behind them. And with that gigantic, you know, 85-inch fist, he's, uh, he's hit me in the back of the head. And right in front of the prettiest girl in class, Gus suddenly found himself in a familiar position, face down on the asphalt. He proceeds to basically just kick me down the street. Who do you think was worse, Edith or Big Jimmy? Oh, Edith, clearly. Big Big Jimmy was my best friend compared to Edith. So I remember I was inside the bathroom attempting to remember Chinese. And I was counting to 10 in Mandarin. And I was 
remembering tones. And it was like I was recovering a life with my mother. I mean, the last time I spoke Chinese was with her. Edith slams open the door and screams, no Chinese words, no Chinese words in this house. And I said, when my mommy comes back, we speak Chinese again. And then she phoned Eleanor, my oldest sister, and she said, I want you to tell your brother where your mother is. Edith handed Gus the phone. He thought Eleanor would say his mom was in Shanghai, or maybe Suzhou. Instead, Eleanor said, Gus, uh, Chen Sun, our mother is in a cemetery in San Bruno. And then I knew. Eleanor would not lie to me. And uh, so I, I set my face. I think I swallowed very hard. And I know that Edith had been waiting for just the precise moment to crush me with the news that my mother was dead. I was back to my old self. I was depressed. I'd been defeated. The next time Gus showed up at the Y, he was still limping from his fight with Big Jimmy. His coaches asked him, what's wrong? They forced it out of me. Kid, what's going on? I know I'm crying. I thought my mommy was coming back. And now I know mommy is dead. She was dead when I was five. He told them everything about Edith locking him out of the house. And he told them about Big Jimmy Tims. And he, he picks on small kids. He pounds them. He's the one who took my shoes. And these three men are looking at me, and they look at each other. And they look concerned, which lifts my heart. Tony says, let's train him to beat the crap out of this bully. In just a moment, Gus gets ready for his big fight. Stay tuned. WNYC Studios, you're listening to Snap Judgment, the Gambit episode. When last we left, little Gus Lee was training to fight his bully, Big Jimmy. Coach says, we're taking a ride, get in. And he immediately drives me right back, because that's when Big Jimmy did his work. He was shooting buckets on the, uh, the Anza schoolyard. From the car, Coach Tony looked at Big Jimmy's footwork. He checked out his hand-eye coordination. He says, uh, he's a boxer's dream, kid. He's awkward. He actually, he's not an athlete. He doesn't move like an athlete. He doesn't know balance. He's just a big, overweight thumper. He says, but, you know, 
Kid, you're right. The, the guy's huge. Coach Lewis was the ring scientist, and he's the one who asked me, how much time do you need to prepare? And I said, three years. And there was a lot of laughter. And he said, he said how about two weeks? Because then you know when it's going to happen. Gus had a fight plan. He had a boxing coach. And Coach Lewis knew all he needed now was a little fire in the belly. So he used the idea of his mom, his real mom. And he, he points at me and he says, I don't think that this punk likes your mother. And his giant finger pointing at me. And he says, I want you to remember that. Because Gus was small and Big Jimmy was huge, Gus had to learn how to punch up. Coach Tony uh, faced me and he said, okay, you got three minutes. I circled the bag. I went left. I went right. I made a complete 360. I kept my arms moving, punching the bag, whapping it up, up, up. By the end of the week, I could punch upward. Coach Lewis said, did they serve Navy beans in your cafeteria? Beans messed with the gut, and boxers knew to stay away from them before a fight. And I nodded, and he said, what day? I said, Thursday. Your fight's going to be on Thursday, kid. Gus was at the garage one day when Hector asked him if he knew how he was going to start the fight. And then he pulled out a jar full of tractor oil and carefully handed it to Gus. He told him that this jar would totally do the trick. And you pour on his shoes, on his zapatos, all over. This will distract him. He's going to be looking at his shoes. He's going to be really upset, you know? And finally... The day of the fight arrived. The cafeteria served its pork and beans for lunch. Big Jimmy had a big helping. And then, before Gus knew it, it was the end of the school day. I heard the bell. And the bell was just like, it's like the boxing ring bell. Ding! And I positioned myself with the sun at my back. And this mass starts coming out. It's the kids. I see this bobbing shape above the mass, and I know, I know it's him. So I, I, I picked up the jar, and I loosened it. He's looking at me the way I think you look at a lamb chop. His shoes, his PF flyers, man, they're right in front of me. And I took real good aim, and I got most of the gunk directly on his uh, left foot. And I said, hey, 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 Big Jimmy, your shoes, they ugly. He roared. I went into my stance, and he's swearing at me, which is good. This is all part of the fight plan. He had one punch. I mean, you could see it coming, and you could... You could deflect it, which I did. And I punched up, and I hit his throat. And I hit it pretty good. I, I was delivering blows as hard as I could to his midsection. And I know he hit me very, very hard 
on the left arm because the left arm went numb. He was grasping and swinging and trying to clear his throat. The fight was basically over. And I was gassed. And it's like my ears popped. I was aware of kids yelling and there was a lot of noise. That's when one of the other kids came up behind Big Jimmy and pushed him back into the fight, driving Big Jimmy directly into Gus. The next thing Gus knew, he was tackled and knocked to the ground, where he wasn't supposed to be. And he got up and he clunked my head with one of those big rights. My head hit the concrete, and he started kicking me with those big, grudge-covered PF flyers. He kicked me all over that schoolyard. It felt like my head had been broken apart, and every part of me hurt. Before I was out of gas, and now I was, I was out of heart. And I saw this giant finger pointing at me. And it wasn't Big Jimmy's, it was Coach Lewis's. And he said, I don't think this punk likes your mother. I think I got up like a broken crab, but I got up and I went back to Big Jimmy. I went in and I started boxing him. I circled him. I stuck and moved much slower than before, but he was slowed and he had been hurt and he wasn't used to being hurt, not by a kid. And I just kept punching him and I knew I had to hit him with a haymaker uppercut. And then I saw his chin. Everything I had, I put into the uppercut. And it connected. It was a little off, but it connected. I'd won the fight. I knelt by Big Jimmy and I touched his fists with mine, which said, good fight. Gus was hurt. Tasting the blood in his mouth, he slowly walked towards home. I, I, I went up to the apartment door, walked up the steps. I rang the doorbell. Edith opened it and said, What are you doing? I haven't called for you. Go away. I said, I beat Big Jimmy. I don't care what you're saying. Get away from here or I'll... And she raised her hand to strike me, and I instinctively went into stance. Hands up, thumb at my eyebrow. She recoiled, and she said, You would raise your hands to me? Seized by the moment, I shouted at her, You not my mommy, and I ain't for your picking on no more. Thanks so much to Gus Lee. Gus Lee is a courage-based leadership trainer and consultant. He's now completing his eighth book, Courage is a Verb. To find out more, go to our website, snapjudgment.org. The original score for that story was by Renzo Gorio. It was produced by Liz Mack.